morning. So glad that you're here today. Be a part of our worship experience this morning. Some of you, this is your first time with us. We're so glad that you're here today. Um, as you came in today, you should have received a program. It's a green program. Yeah, Pastor Scott, um, I got a program today. Even though I was playing guitar, hi everybody. I have a microphone. Oh, and, man. Uh, Tom, Tom, what are you doing, no, man? No, it's it's fine. I saw that you're taking questions called asking for a friend. Yeah, I, I saw that. No, yeah. So I just thought maybe I'd kick it off. I'd kick off the first topic because I just have a few questions. Let's just say. Not me, so I'm asking for a friend. So theoretically, if somebody who worked in the office with you wanted to know where your secret stash of candy was, where exactly would that be? I'm not for me. It's for somebody else. Just wants the cho- cough it up, the chocolate. Where uh, is Tom? It? Tom, first of all, I don't have a secret stash. That's not true. Don't believe another word. I don't have it. My wife would kill me if I had a secret stash. But anyway, I'm praying for your marriage, man. You know, this is not the time. These are the important questions in life, is where's the candy? Where's the candy? No. Tom, this is not the time. All right, good luck. Uh, Maybe maybe I'll tell you later. The secret stash of candy. I'm just praying for you, that's all. I can find it during church. Somebody take the microphone away from him. Asking for a friend. Well, Tom, thank you for interrupting me kindly, but, you know, we will talk about that later. Uh, but, yeah, again, if you're a first-time guest, you're like, that was weird. I, I'm sorry. Um, but we're glad that you're here. And if you take that card and fill it out in the connection card that's inside your program, and um, are you got a question, too? No. No, okay. All right. <laughs> anyway, um, also, um, this week, this week, you should have a, in your program, there's a bunch of stuff in the program, by the way, but you should get a little card that says, um, shared, share the word together. Share the word together. And this right here is a coupon. Let's retake this into LifeWay starting tomorrow until Saturday. And um, for the next five days, six days, you go to LifeWay, you turn this in, and they will give you a Bible, and uh, I've got it here in the cover, but a real nice-looking Bible. And they'll give you this Bible, no questions asked, but the goal is for you to take this Bible and to give it to somebody, share the word. And um, so this is not to add another Bible to your collection. This is for you to take this Bible, maybe give it to a neighbor, a friend, somebody that you're working on, um, someone that you know that could use a Bible and get one. If you don't know who that is, just go by and get one and just start praying and ask God, to God, I've got a Bible to give. God, show me who I can give this Bible to. And ask God to show you and give you wisdom. And so I think it's a great opportunity. And LifeWay is right on Hall Road. All that information, you should be able to find that pretty, pretty close by here. And I hope that you'll be a part of that. Well, as Tom says, we are asking for a friend, but we're not talking about candy today. We're going to be talking about a series of questions here in the next few weeks, and um, I hope that you'll be a part of it. We're going to be looking at all of these questions. You should have a card 
on your chair. I'm going to grab one. And you should have one of these cards just for you to take and for you to put on your refrigerator or perhaps maybe when you give a Bible away, maybe you give this as well. And uh, you'll see what we're going to be talking about. You know, next week, we're going to be asking a question, why do bad things happen to good people? Asking for a friend. June 17th, how can I know God's plan for my life? How can I know God's will for my life? June 24th, asking for a friend, is the Bible reliable? Can we trust this ancient word of God? that's been written over 2,000 years ago. Can we trust it? Is it reliable? And then the last week, July 1st, what happens after I die? What happens after I die? So we're going to tackle these questions, and, uh, and we're going to be looking at these here in the next few weeks as we tackle asking for a question. Today, I'm asking for a friend. Do you really believe that Jesus is the only way. Ask him for a friend. Do you really believe that Jesus is the only way? It's one of the biggest lies in our culture today. So many people wrongly believe this. You may have heard of it. In fact, some of you may have even said it. You may even believe it. But all over the world, people say this. It doesn't matter what you believe about God as long as you are sincere about it. Or they might say, hey, there are many ways to get to God. All religions are the same. And honestly, it, it, it kind of sounds good, doesn't it? It kind of sounds good. It kind of feels good that our God is so big, that our God is so loving, as you are sincerely believing that no matter what you believe, as long as you are sincere, you doesn't matter. And I call this a feel-good theology. Feel good. It just feels good. Now, we see this all the time when someone maybe is talking to a friend. They say, man, you're a good person. You're better than most people that I know. And so since you're so good, things should be okay at the end. Well, I see this quite often at funerals because I've done some funerals. Someone will pass away, and a loved one would say, well, he wasn't much of a religious person, but he is in a better place right now He's in a better place looking down on us below. Or we might, we might say, Grandma is in a better place looking down on us below. And I'm going to be very honest with you. There's at least three or four times a day that I don't want Grandma looking down below. All right? Let's just be honest. You know, it doesn't matter what you believe in, some people say. All roads lead to God. All religions are the same. It doesn't matter what you believe, as long as you are sincere. And what's interesting to me in our culture that we are living in today is that 
Basic spirituality, basic spirituality is not controversial. It's not. Not controversial to talk about God. You can talk about God on a talk show, on Oprah. You can watch any great sporting event. And at the end of the game, people give credit to God. Watch someone at the Grammys or at the Oscars. And somebody is going to say, oh, I give credit to God. You can talk all day long about spirituality, higher power, karma, and there's no controversy at all. So when is there a controversy? When does the controversy take place? The controversy happens when the name of Jesus is being talked about. You can talk about God, you can talk about everything else. You can talk about higher power and karma. But when you talk about Jesus, that's when things get really, really interesting. Are there many different ways to God? Or is Jesus the only way? Whenever you say Jesus is the only way, people tend to write you off. People say that you're being narrow-minded, that you're being judgmental, closed-minded. Let's look at the claims of Jesus, because you've got to admit, you've got to admit this. And by the way, people that don't like the name of Jesus, they will all admit that Jesus existed. He was a real person. Everyone would say that Jesus was a person in the history of the world, that he was a teacher. And, and nobody, nobody disagrees with who he, that he existed. Nobody disagrees his teaching. In fact, his teachings are very good. They're, they're great teaching. They're the best teaching in the world. Jesus taught about how we should help out the poor, to love others, to be generous, to forgive. And so people don't debate about his existence. People don't debate about his teaching. But what people debate about, what people debate about Jesus is his exclusive claim to be God, the Son of God, the only way to God. This is where people have the debate. John chapter 14, verse number 6, Jesus makes this claim. He says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And this brings the point of the debate. Is Jesus the only way? Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse number 30, he made this claim again. I and the Father are one. Again, the Bible says in verse 31, his Jewish opponent, the religious leaders, they pick up stones to stone him. But Jesus said to them, I have shown you many good works from the Father, for which of these do you stone me? And they said, we are not stoning you for the good work that you've done, all the miracles, all the stuff. We're not stoning you for that, but for blasphemy, because you, 
a mere man, a regular dude, an average show, claim to be God. It are those claims that Jesus makes that freaks everybody out. We look at the life of Muhammad and Buddha and Confucius and the Dalai Lama. None of them claim to be God. That's what separates Jesus from the rest. And that's what offends so many people. You see, deciding on the answer to this issue is the most important thing that you could ever do. Everything hinges in your life on this one question. This is the most important question that you have to wrestle with in this life that we live. Are there many ways to God? Or is Jesus the only way? You see, if Jesus is who he says he is, the son of the living God, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, and he, he's the one that said that you must deny yourself and follow me, if this is true about Jesus and what he says, then we should surrender the rest of our lives, given every bit of ourselves, empowered by the Spirit of God to pursue him, to live for him, to live for his glory in every area of our lives. Every area. If, on the other hand, if Jesus is not the way, if Jesus is not who he says he is, then why are we here this morning? Why are we not sleeping in on this rainy day? Because everything we're doing, we're just kidding ourselves. If Jesus isn't the way, why did Jesus even come? And all of this would be a big joke if Jesus it's not the way. In fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we're not going to look there this morning, but several times, several times the Apostle Paul says, listen, if Jesus didn't even come from the grave, then we're just wasting our time. Because then, if Jesus didn't raise up, then the life of Christ means nothing to us. And the Apostle Paul presents the argument, presents the case in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, would be a great chapter to read this week. And just to study that great, powerful declaration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because the gospel is that Jesus died and that he was buried. And the good news is that he rose again. And so this morning, I want to explore. I want to discover. I want to look into Jesus. We want to put Jesus to the test this morning. We're going to test a couple of things. Number one, if you're taking notes. We're going to test the credibility of Jesus. We're going to test the credibility of Jesus. A lot of times, when you get close, closer to people, you become less impressed. For example, you know, I've been around some celebrities, you know, some famous people, and, and I'm, in, I'm sure many of you have. You know, I've been, uh, I remember taking, taking my son Nathan to Comic-Con. Uh, you see all kinds of famous people at Comic-Cons. And uh, we, we went there, and, and we went for the sole purpose to meet the Karate Kid. Uh, Y'all remember the Karate Kid? Uh, and um, we went to see the Karate Kid guy. He was there. And uh, Nathan Dodd dressed up in a karate suit. 
By the way, my son never done karate. You know, we had to borrow the karate suit from somebody, but he liked the movie, right? So we found karate outfit, and uh, he dressed up for Comic-Con. <laughs> We're walking around, and, uh, and we finally get to the karate kid, and we actually purchased, you know, a, a little time with him so that we could get a picture. I thought, man, Nathan would just be blown away to be around the karate kid. Now, I remember going back there and just be like, you know, I thought, man, I could be blown away by a karate kid dude, right? And, and I, I got to be honest, I'm just not impressed. From a distance, wow, you know, you got the crane kick, you know, and all that stuff. And, and I just wasn't, really? This is the karate kid? I mean, I could probably whoop him, maybe. I don't know. The karate kid. I've been around a couple of others. You know, I've been around a, a friend, Michael Franzese. You know, he's a former mafia. We've had him here. I remember picking him up. I mean, I was terrified. I mean, this is the former mobster. I mean, I'm thinking, man, I got him up on a pedestal for a reason here. I mean, my life is hanging in the balance. And I remember picking him up. And this is a real tiny guy. And real meek and very humble. And I said, man, you're totally not who I thought you would be. I thought you'd be, you know, the tough, crazy Italian. Right? I thought you'd be mean. And he was just the nicest guy ever. Okay, what's in a, in a way, I was impressed in a different way. But he didn't meet the expectations that I had for him. But sometimes we meet people from afar, and when we get closer and closer, we're not so impressed. But when it comes to Jesus, the more that I look into Jesus, the closer I get to Jesus, the more impressed I am. The more I'm blown away by who he is. We're going to test the credibility of Jesus this morning. Three things as we touch credibility. Let's examine what people said about Jesus. What people say about Jesus. And let's, be, let's, let's be very picky here because I don't want to ask his fan base because they all love Jesus. Uh, let's not go to his disciples and ask them because we know what they think of Jesus. They're a little biased. And it should be in a good way. But I want to ask the people that didn't have a reason to like Jesus. The first person I want to look at is Pilate, Pontius Pilate. And notice what happened here. He was trying to find reason to crucify Jesus. He under tremendous pressure to crucify Jesus and wanted to find the sin, any excuse to give to the crowd. So he examined Jesus, and notice what Pilate says in John 18, verse 38. He said, what is true? We told you, Pilate. And with this, he went, he went out again to the Jews, to the religious people that were gathered there, and said, I find no basis for a charge against him. Another version of the Bible Translated like this, I find no fault in him. I mean, he hasn't done anything wrong. I'm going to try to. The next time you think that you are the most perfect human being in the world, the next time you think you're the son of God or the Messiah, just ask people, just ask people around you, hey, do you see anything wrong with me? 
Now go to work. Go to people you work with and say, hey, you know, I'm feeling pretty high and mighty today. Do you ever see anything? Am I the most perfect person you ever work with? Just ask. Just ask people if you're a perfect person. You know, if I were to ask my wife, I'd say, Karen, you know, how, how am I? Do you find any fault in me? Uh, she's going to say, do you want the whole list or the top 100? Uh, she's going to ask that. Jesus, though, Pontius Pilate was looking for something wrong. In, in fact, he had reason to find something wrong. But he said, I can't find anything wrong with this guy. I can't find anything wrong with him. There's no fault in him. We can look at the Roman centurion and his buddies. They had just nailed Jesus to the cross. And they're standing there at the foot of the cross. And Jesus passed away. The earthquake shook and the temple veil rent in two. And the centurions and his buddies they made a statement in Matthew chapter 27. They said in verse 54, when the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, not quietly, but they shouted out, surely he was the son of God. Surely that this man is who he said he was. We're the one that put him on the cross. We're the one that don't like him. We're the one that spat in his face and mock him. And at the end of the day, surely he was the son of God. We've got to examine what people said about him. But number two, let's examine what Jesus did. Look at what Jesus did. He was well-known and famous for his teachings and for his miracles. Mark chapter 6, verse 2. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things? What's this wisdom that had been given him? Where are these, what are these remarkable miracles he is performing? I mean, think about the miracles of Jesus. What did he do? He took what's impossible, and he made it possible. He opened blind eyes. Impossible. He made the deaf ears. Impossible. He caused those that couldn't speak to open their mouths and start talking again, which is impossible. He took a man who had a shriveled up hand, and he reached out and touched his hand, and that man's hand was healed. Impossible. He cast out demons, multiplied five loaves and two fishes to feed 5,000 men and their family. Jesus walked on water. Have you ever walked on water? Jesus did. He walked on water. He calmed the storm. He raised the dead. He went to a funeral and raised the dead. Jesus did that. Nobody, not even the Pharisees who hated him, debate the validity of his miracle. They just wanted him to stop. We'll go back to John 10, verse 31, 32, and 33. Jesus said, listen, I have shown you many good works. I have done these good miracles from the Father. Why are you stoning me? And they said, we're not 
stoning you for your miracles. We're stoning you. We're stoning you for what you claim to be. Examine what others said. Examine what Jesus did. But number, here's the third point on this. Let's examine what God did. Examine what God did. If there's any one thing that pops out of Scripture that's important to recognize, it is that the Scripture claims that Jesus, after he died, was raised back to life. In fact, Peter, when he was at the temple in Jerusalem after the resurrection of Jesus, after Jesus had gone through the heaven, Jesus, he preached the gospel. And here's in Solomon's porch in the great temple in Jerusalem. He was talking, he was preaching the gospel, and this is what he said in Acts chapter 3 and verse 15. Paul said, or Peter said, you killed the author of life. But God raised him from the dead. And we are witnesses to this. We've seen this. We saw this with our own eyes. We know this from Scripture that the two men, the two disciples on their way to Emmaus saw Jesus. People saw Jesus teaching after the resurrection. They saw Jesus teaching on the mountainside. People saw Jesus in the upper room. In, in fact, one time, over 500 people saw the resurrected Jesus. According to the book of Acts, we see that. Now, I admit, there's a lot of debate about the resurrection of Christ. There's a lot of debate about his resurrection. Some will argue, some will argue that the Roman soldiers, the enemy of Jesus, took the body of Christ. They hid the body. They, Jesus was buried, and in the middle of the night, they took the body and hid it. But you have to think about this. The Roman soldiers and the enemy of Jesus, Jesus would have loved nothing more than to produce a dead body and to say, look, the disciples are full of it. Jesus is right here. He's dead. We've got the proof. He's dead. The disciples are playing the game here. Not true. But that argument seemed to banish pretty quickly because that didn't happen. Others would say, well, the disciples stole the body of Jesus. Which, by the way, is a possibility the possibility, if you can imagine, that these unarmed, untrained men overpowered the best of the best of Roman guards who were kind of like today's UFC fighters. Right? And, and they went there. I mean, you can, maybe, you can, maybe that happened, right? But at the same time, you have to remember that the guards were still alive. And, and we still have the guards' testimony. If that actually happened, if the disciples actually went in and took the body they, they, they would they, they would the and say, well, yeah, you know, we weren't paying attention. And we saw this little group of men come by, and, and man, that, man, they were tough. Especially that little tax collector. Man, they, he came up to us and beat the tower out of us. And, and we whimpered, and then we hid. We got away from these guys, and these guys actually moved. They moved the stone, and they kidnapped the body of Jesus. And we still have the testimony of the guards, and that never happened. Now think about this. 
out of the 12 disciples, Judas the Iscariot took his own life, right? John, he died of old age. So the other 10, how did they die? They died the death of a martyr. After severe torture and persecution, these 10 men, they lost their lives for the cause of Christ. So my question is for you is this. Do you think that these 10 men would die for a lie? Would they die for a lie? Do you really expect any rational thinking person to believe that 11 ordinary, uneducated men came up with the biggest lie in history, the biggest secret in the, in the history of the world, with no personal motivation for self-gain, but quite the opposite. They were lost and cost. They were, they were hated, despised, rejected. They were abused. And ultimately, many of them died a martyr's death, all in order to treat the world and to be in a better place. I mean, do you think that they actually die for a lie? Jesus rose again. We test the credibility of Jesus. By the way, there's been extra-biblical accounts, not just the Bible, but extra-biblical accounts that prophesy, that, that testify, not prophesy, but testify the living Jesus. Test the credibility of Jesus. But here's the second thing I want to test, is that you and I test the character of Jesus. Test the character of Jesus. In my pocket is a packet of hearing aid batteries. This had nothing to do with the message, but everything to do with my ears because my batteries just died. So just pretend that I'm not doing anything and I'm just working on my ears, okay? All right? This rarely ever happens when I'm preaching. Always happens in the middle of the night where I can't hear the alarm in the morning. I don't know why that is, but here it is. I'm alive again. I can hear you. All right. Touch the character of Jesus. Is he who he says he is? Was he a man of God, a man of integrity? John chapter 8, verse 46. Jesus asked the question, Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? I mean, Jesus said, listen, if I've done something wrong, point it out. If I've sinned, Point it out. Prove me guilty of sin. And then he said, yeah, if I am telling the truth, why don't you believe me? If I am perfect, and you believe that I'm perfect, you can't find anything wrong with me, then why won't you believe what I'm telling you? I'm telling you the truth. And the only thing that will disqualify me from the truth is if you can find something of sin in my life. When it comes to the character of Jesus, we really have only one of three options. All right, one of three options. Let me just say this. Most people that I know, when we talk about Jesus, they claim that Jesus was a good man. Whether they believe he was the son of God or not, but many people say Jesus Christ 
was a good man. In fact, if you look at Islam and Muhammad, they would say Muhammad is the, is the head prophet, but Jesus is in the storyline of Islam. And, and, and Muhammad and others claim that Jesus was a prophet, not the prophet, not the man, but he was a good, good man. There's claims just about every area of life that claim that Jesus was a good man. And so we have one of three options if Jesus is a good man. Number one, we either believe that Jesus is a liar. Jesus is a liar. Or number two, that Jesus is a lunatic. Or number three, Jesus is Lord. It's either a liar, a lunatic, or a lord. Now let's back up. Let's talk about Jesus is a liar. Maybe Jesus was a liar. And if he was, you've got you've got to admit, he was doggone good. He was a real good liar. I mean he pulled it off. If he was a liar, he was so persuasive that he got these twelve guys the disciples, to give up their careers, to leave their family, and for three years follow Jesus. And then after he was gone, that these guys kept up the lie and, and, and kept it going. And here we are 2,000 years later, we still believe in that lie, if Jesus is a liar. And at some point, you know, Jesus had to get back and go, man, I had no idea I could pull this thing off. Man, I didn't think I could make it. Wow. By the way, let me say this. There were other proclaimed messiahs that had popped up during this time. And every one of them failed the test and the credibility. But Jesus comes out on top. He comes through. Now, if he was lying... I mean, you have to know at some point, if he was lying, if this was all one big game to Jesus, at some point, I would have think he would have broke down. He would have broken down. I mean, why they were, why they were beating him after, the, after his trial leading up to the red, uh, crucifixion. I mean, they were beating him, pounding in his face, guys with their rings just pummeling Palmer just knocking him, where they said that his face was so disfigured that you couldn't tell if it was a man or an animal. And you would thought, well, maybe by then, maybe say, all right, all right, hold on, hold on. I'm just, man, this is, I'm done. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just pulling everyone's legs. Not true. But he didn't do it there. So maybe, maybe later on when they, started, when they took off his shirt and took the, the cat of nine tails and, and the, the cat of nine tails with the, at the end of those whip, it's nine ropes. And at the end of those ropes, it's either a broken bone or a glass or a piece of sharp rock. When they take that whip and, and start whipping the back of Jesus. And most of the time during the crucifixion torture, this is the place where most men came and survived. Because they whip and the body of his back turned into bruises. And they, kept, they keep whipping and they keep whipping on those same bruises. And finally, the whip smashed into those bruises and, and blood begins to splurt. And before you know it, vital organs begin to expose themselves and bones start to 
revealed himself. You would think maybe here Jesus would approach down to her. Okay, hold up, hold up. Listen, I'm joking here. I'm lying. Or maybe perhaps that when they put Jesus' bloody back on a wooden cross, that Jesus, and as he drove the nails, that threw his hand in his feet. That Jesus would have said, guys, guys, it's been fun. I, I, I'm just a carpenter, man. I just got bored. You know, wood on Sunday, wood on Monday, wood on Tuesday, and I thought I'd come up with a good lie. Guys, this is, I'm not, this is, I'm just, this is not me. I, I'm, I'm, ready to, I'm ready to pack up my bar and go home here. I'm done. Stop being a joke. Jesus never did that. By the way, if he was a good man, as everyone claims that he is, this violates, this contradicts, because there's nothing good about a good liar. Nothing good about that. So it's the liar. The man who is known for his moral teaching was the immoral himself. It's an option. You want to believe that. Number two, is Jesus a lunatic? Is he crazy? No, you should lock him up, put him in a mental hospital. You think about David Koresh, Jim Jones, others who had a kind of Messiah complex. They believed to be God or the Messiah or some sort of deity. And when they studied their life, they had all kinds of disturbing behavior in their personal history. And then you look at Jesus, who was the most loving, most forgiving, most generous man that's ever lived. You look in his history, you don't see anything disturbing. But all you see is a man of love. 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 He was either a liar, Jesus was either a lunatic, crazy man, or he is, number three, who says he is. He is Lord. Yes, Lord of all. You see, in our culture, we paint Jesus in our mindset to be this weak, effeminate, Galilean man. But Jesus is so much more than that. He is the Lord of Lords. He is the King of Kings. In fact, years later, John, who was one of the 12 disciples who went up, who did not suffer the martyr's death, who was imprisoned on an island in the middle of the, uh, middle of the Mediterranean, of the middle of the Mediterranean Sea. And he's in prison and he's sitting there. And a vision from heaven opens up. And John writes about this vision in Revelation chapter 19. And John says, I saw heaven standing open. And there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With, with justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped 
in blood. And his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses, and dressed in fine linen, wiping clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nation. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the wine, the wine press of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has his name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Scripture says that there's one name that's above every single name, and that is the name of Jesus. The Bible says that one day that every knee shall bow, and every lips and every mouth will confess that Jesus is Lord of all. So I'm asking for a friend. Is Jesus the only way? What do you believe about Jesus? What do you believe about him? In fact, Jesus asked questions to the disciples. Hey guys, we all, what do people say about me? What do people say about who I am? The disciples all came out with different answers. Some people say that you're one of the prophets. Some people say that you're Elijah. Finally, Jesus said, okay, guys, who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? A Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. My question for you is this. Who do you say he is? Who do you say he is? Now listen very carefully. This is important. Who do you say he is? Not, with, not who do you say he is with your lips, but who do you say he is with your life? Because there's a big difference. Not just, nah, you know, Scott, I was a little kid. I went to church. I know I remember praying some prayer, and I was confirmed. I was baptized. I don't even remember when I was baptized. I was a baby or when I was baptized or whatever. That's all I'm talking about. I'm, talking, I'm saying, who do you say he is? Not with your lips, but with your life. Truthfully, when I look at my own actions, they often don't reflect the Lordship of Christ. And I just don't want to say it with my lips, but I want to live it with my life. I want to live who he is with my life. So it's pretty easy. It's popular to blend in with today's culture and society and not to, you know, rock the boat and say, you know, yeah, there's many ways to God. Yeah, you know, our roads lead to heaven. Yeah, if you don't want to rock the boat, that's, that's easy to say. But it's more dangerous to actually think it through, to do your homework, and to come out on the side that I fall on. And that is this. This is who he is to me. He's my friend. He's my savior. He's my redeemer, my righteousness. He is my rock, my shelter, the bread of life. He is the gate, the door, my salvation. He is my Lord. 
It's the only way I have. It's the only way to go, to have access to God. And if there had been another way to God, then Jesus would have never been born and he would have never had to die. And it's because of that, I not only want to confess with my mouth, but I want to confess with my whole life. Who do you say that is? Our Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you that we could take a few minutes to look into the life of Jesus. We thank you that he is who he says he is. God, I pray here today for two groups of people. I have been praying all week for two individuals that are here this morning. Number one, for the first group, God, I've been praying for those who've never given their heart to you. I've been praying for those today who see that you are Lord of Lords, King of Kings, that you are the Son of God, that you are who you said you are, and that you are the only way to heaven. God, I pray that today, that those people that don't have a relationship with Christ, who have never given their heart, they've never given their life to you, God, I pray that today they will recognize who you are. You are Christ, the Son of the living God. And I pray that today they will take a next step and give their heart and life to Jesus. And God, I've been praying for a number, the second group of people. It's for those who know who Jesus is with their lips, but don't know who Jesus is with their life. They don't live like he is Lord of Lords, King of Kings. So we believe, and we know where we're going, but we don't live it out every day. God, I pray that we see who Jesus is, and God, I pray that the closer we see Jesus, the more we want to love him, the more we want to obey him, the more we want to follow him, the more we want to give our lives to everything he is. God, I pray that today, those who just, just live in their life, their own life, but not living for you, God, I pray that today, today they turn it around and surrender and say, God, I want to live for you. I know I'm not perfect. I want to live for you. I'm a follower of Jesus, but I don't always look like it. And today I want to start becoming a true follower of Christ. I want people to see by my action that I am a child of God. I want people to see that there's something different about me. Oh God, I pray today that you will work in our hearts. For those who don't know Christ, God, I pray that they take that next step. And for those who are believers, but haven't been living like their believers. God, I pray that today they start walking and talking like Jesus. And your name I pray. Amen. Let's all stand to our feet.